and I crashed and burned and lost millions twice, actually. So, <laughs> so I didn't learn the first time. So I'm a six foot four, two hundred eighty pound military veteran living in Europe, and my special power is that I have women's intuition. <laughs> <laughs> that's the intro right there. That's gonna be. That's the hook. That is it. <laughs> we stand today. The Business Method with a shout The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, welcome to the Business Method Podcast, where we examine the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. Our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that had built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we are interviewing 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that generate a million dollars or more in annual revenue. There's a growing movement of people building these caliber of businesses and we wanted to get behind the minds, the logic, and the science of what it takes to build a business like this. We've had some incredible guests like Bobby Edwards, the founder of Squatty Potty, who built a $35 million per year company with just 17 employees, and JP Sears, the YouTube superstar whose videos are going viral all over the internet. I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and we hope you enjoy the show. The Business Method. Today, listeners, we welcome a highly decorated former U.S. Army combat veteran and turnaround consultant, Stephen Kuhn to the show. Stephen and I recently met during dinner at a business conference and by the end of the meal I invited him to come on the podcast. He has a wealth of experience and on the show Stephen shares about everything from his early days in the military, developing an unstoppable mentality, how he used that to build his first businesses. He dives into the importance of understanding oneself, continual growth, and the importance of honesty and integrity in one's life. It's an incredible episode and without further ado let's jump into the show. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. And we got my man Stephen Kuhn on the line. How are you, brother? All right, doing great, Chris. Thanks for having me. I am so glad to have you on the show. One, well, for a couple of reasons. One, I just met you last week, and <laughs> we met in a magical little island in Croatia, the baby bathwater island. And um, we hit it off. We had an amazing week together. We had amazing conversations. I think we both had a life-changing experience. But I'm also glad to have you on the show so we can relive some of those memories um, and chat about that experience and then also really get to know you, let our listeners get to know you and the phenomenal individual that you are. So I just want to say humbly, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And also so quickly. I mean, that was a – you're right. It was – mind and life-changing um uh, experience and creation that island it was like a a time warp i felt like gilligan from gilligan's island but <laughs> in, in a cool way with all of the coolest people you could ever have on one ship stranded on the island <laughs> right and i i was talking about this with another friend that um I really felt if I didn't know better that would that it's almost like a necker island experience you know richard branson's island right yeah, I mean the people there are the people that would go to Necker Island. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's and it, and it's hard to believe. It's the, the thing that I appreciate about the most is well, I have a group in um, Facebook called the Humble Man, which you just joined by the way, yeah. and uh, you you commented yeah, and and this is that's what it's all about. And when I about being humble, but hu- being humble isn't something you do. It's the result of the things that you do or don't do, right? right. So 
this whole island was humble. I mean, I've never met such power. I mean, the number one ad spending, the number one spending agency on Facebook and the worldwide, the number one, uh, sorry, Instagram, the number one ad spend on uh, YouTube worldwide. These guys are standing up there like you and me, just going, "Hey, man, how's it going?" Yeah, you know, spending like billions of dollars on YouTube. He's just standing <laughs> there like one, you know, it's just like, and and they're just so freely giving. And I like the fact that it was an it was a, a pitch free and a record free zone, so they could say whatever they wanted. Yeah, and they would give you like really true value that other people pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for it was incredible do you remember that um like i love the idea of being humble uh, but in my experience i've also realized that being humble can also be an ego- egotistical thing and uh people can use being humble to uh, insinuate that they're better than you in many ways so i like the idea um and i believe we were sitting next to each other in jesse's talk do you remember exactly what he said about being humble? Yes. What was that? He's, well, it's funny because he said what I just said. He said being humble isn't a thing. It's a result of, of your actions. Right. Trying to be humble, trying to be humble, saying you're humble, always repeating it to yourself that you're humble is actually ego. Right. right. So, yeah. And, and, and that's basically where – well, the humble man for me came from a very profound experience. I was in Peru and I just finished up a 10-day um, retreat with Ayahuasca and San Pedro. We did – every night we did Ayahuasca and every day we did San Pedro. And we threw some Ebola in there as well. <laughs> and, and and the last day, I did my last, um, let's say, treatment of uh, uh, San Pedro. And anyone who knows San Pedro, that's the masculine energy. Ayahuasca is a feminine energy. And that masculine energy hit me so hard on the last day that I was sitting on the mountaintop of Cusco, 14,500 feet above sea level with the local Indians or indigenous people. Um, um, and I had this feeling of just being where I was supposed to be inside of me and you know, with me. And I said, I, I don't know if there's a way to be any more humble, humble than there is right now. It's, it's a f- the feeling that I had and being at one with Pachamama or mother earth. And it just blew me away. And that's where the idea for humble man Kings, I looked up in the sky we were looking, I was looking up and beside me was an airplane underneath me. And that's how high we were. Whoa. And, uh, and, and I was like, I'm here, you know, I've made it. And that's where the idea for the, the idea for the humble man came from. So it's not something that we're trying to be, it's a it's like a level of consciousness that, that you reach by the actions that you you know you make throughout your life every day right makes yeah. perfect sense mm. if somebody you know this i think this idea of being humble is not something that's that's necessarily taught in mainstream so um you know going to the humble man would be a great way to learn how to be more humble but the the trait of humility is something that even religions and um, wise people have taught over generations and thousands of years but like what would you say if somebody wanted to pick up this trait of humility um, what would be some ways or where some places they could go to learn and, and gain, I guess you could oh, oh. call it a, this virtue, this virtue. Well, uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, it would be a virtue. Well, I, you know, it started for me, true humility came to me when I crashed and burned and lost millions. Yeah. Twice, twice actually. So, <laughs> so I didn't learn the first time. Um, and, <laughs> and then the, after the second time I left society and I went into a monastery in, in Austria uh, with the Benedictine monks. And the Benedictine monks are Christian, but they, they meditate and they do yoga and things like that. So it was quite a profound experience to go to a Christian monastery and meditate. I just never even knew that existed. And the humility that I experienced there and the self, let's say, first of all, self-loathing that turned into then self, massive self-love, but then with a complete absence of any kind of ego, um, really taught me how to sort of grow that humility. And for me, humility 
and there's a lot of ways to to uh, describe it but for me humility is making all the others all those around you feel great all those around you are the point of the center of attention all those around you you elevate them and it's just it's it's putting yourself in a place of of power of course because you are when you're humble there's no other power stronger on the planet than there is humble as far as as far as um, uh, virtue goes in my opinion it can't be beaten with a stick you can't no one can beat it out of you the more they beat you the more humble you become you know it's like <laughs> it's uh, you know it's just it's, it's, seriously it's like you can't can't beat it out of somebody you can't get yeah. it out of somebody when they're when someone's humble it's the most powerful thing on the planet as far as virtues go i mean if a gangster comes up to you and wants to rob you whatever they might rob you or whatever but if they get into, into a discussion with you and you're completely humble they they can't what are they going to do? They can't still do it. You know, it's like, okay, maybe some people will, but in a normal argument on the street or in, in, in the shopping mall, whatever, if someone gets an argument with you and you stay humble, nothing's going to happen right. because it's so strong. It's like the anti-strength, you know? What would you say if somebody approached you with a gun and said, hey, uh, give me all your money and all, the, all of your goods, everything you have? Um, well, it's happened twice. Uh, really? and, and yeah, two, two times in Berlin. This was before I was humble. So I, I the one time I... <laughs> The one time, the first time I took, I, I, I grabbed the, the weapon from his hand and I cut his face open with a hammer. Wow. Uh, and the second time I, st- I took it from his hand and stuck it in my belt and said, what are you going to do now? Wow. So one, one was uh, on the street right out in front of the Hard Rock Cafe in Berlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so everyone saw it. And uh, the other one was at a, uh, a, a donor kebab uh, uh, embassy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why would you do that in here? But anyway, so. You know, like I said, I'm a trained soldier, so that's that that kind of stuff. At that time, I had a death wish, so nothing scared me. Right now, I think um, I would just say, "Brother, whatever you need, man." You know, wow. I, I'm I'm not gonna I'm I'm no hero. I mean, I'm six, like I said, six foot four, two eighty. Uh, but I don't care how big you are; you can't be bigger than a bullet. So it's true. It's very true. Yeah. And and what is that that material? Even if you have, you know. A few hundred bucks or a thousand bucks yeah. and your credit cards on it. I mean, is it worth it? No, it's not. No, I mean, give it to that person and, and let them go. And the reason they're doing that is because they're suffering in their own yep. way. It's not like they've just made a million dollars and they're like, hey, let's go rob somebody on the street. Yeah. <laughs> they're suffering. They're starving. They can't find work. They, they've been taught to steal and this sort of thing. And that's a miserable place to be in. And, yep. and if you can understand that and be ca- compassionate about that, like it'll change everything. I so. Think- Go ahead. I I, th- I think I think if someone threatened my family, I don't I don't know how humble I could stay. That's a hard one, right? Yeah, Especially yeah. Would, wife and kids. Yeah, oh, I'd be I'd be. I think I would go. I would regress to that soldier, <laughs> disgruntled PTSD. Uh, of, you know, yeah. I think I I don't think I could control myself if someone took care of my family. Right. Uh, you know, family. Yeah. Let's uh let's talk about your early days, man. You have an impressive story. Um, you know, I was impressed with you. You are a big dude compared to me. I'm five eight, one sixty five. You know, you're 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 I don't understand how humans are built as big as you, but uh <laughs> <laughs> but um um I, I loved your background and I just just would like you to share it with the listeners. Okay, well, I, I I'm the kind of guy that everything's intuitional. So when I talk about things, I don't I don't keep it conscious in my mind. It sort of flows in conversation. So if I miss something, feel free to fill in. Okay. Um, you know, I I joined the army uh, when I was 18, and uh, I left when I was 19 because I had failed third grade, so I had to stay a, a year longer in high school. And um, I have a twin brother, so that made it sort of tough because they're like, "Why are you twins and you're in different you're in different grades?" So that was the first that was the first knucklehead experience I had. You were the slow <laughs> twin. I was the slow one, yeah, exactly. but I was you know 15 minutes older, and that made all the difference. Oh, got so, it. <laughs> you know how it is. You always find something, right? Sure. So. 
Um, and then I joined the army and I left immediately. And, and the reason I left, and the reason I joined the army wasn't to be the super patriot or anything. Of course, that has something to do with it because my family has been in the military since the Revolutionary War. And um, I left because I didn't like who I was. I didn't, I didn't value who I was. And I didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. So I left and I said, I'm going to start over. And I'll never forget the day in Fort Knox, Kentucky, when that razor touched my head and shaved off my 1980s uh, mullet haircut. <laughs> Uh, started shaving it off and I felt like, wow, I'm shedding me. I'm starting over. And I learned then that every time that I changed geographical locations and people around me, I could become a better person because it's like when, when you're a, when you're, you can't like, you can walk into your family and change from one day to another, but it's going to take a lot of effort not to go back into routine. But if there's nothing that you recognize around you, not, not, not even your, your face in the mirror, uh, then it's easy to change. So I uh, I changed who I was and I became a overzealous, uh, very uh, um, goal oriented, um, wanting to win everything kind of guy. When you were in the military. Yes, 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 gotcha. yes. Well, what, that's what they want, you know. That's that's yeah. what they build build you up to be. And uh, I did really well in the military. I was uh, highly decorated uh, for those times, for the Cold War times. And uh, won a competition, uh, NATO competition to this day, only one of 16 guys ever to win it in the United States Army. Wow. Just crazy, you know. And then the war came, uh, Iraq, uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, and Kuwait. And that taught me that I wasn't so such a badass as I thought I was and that I wasn't as hard as I thought I was. I broke down a couple of times in the desert when I experienced a few things that I don't think anyone should have to experience, although – what I experienced, those people that ex- that went through that is probably they're of course much worse off than I was. Mm. Um, I can't imagine. Uh, it was bad enough being being part of it. So that that sort of that that really crushed me, and I had to get out of the military. So a year and six months later, I got out. And what I did was I I got what they call a European out, and I stayed in Europe. So I got off base. I was stationed in Germany for eight years. So I walked off base, and I was a civilian in Germany. And then I, what do you do as a civilian in Germany who just got out of the army, you become a doorman, (laughs) which, which was, let's say interesting to say the least, because as a soldier fresh out of the Gulf war, uh, and at the time there was no such thing as PTSD, uh, but I had it, um, um, the anger issues, uh, came up really loud and clear, especially in a volatile, um, you know, surroundings like on the door of a club mm-hmm. so yeah it, it got got to be out of hand where people would send would would send people to me to fight me for money um you know and just it just got to be really i felt like a i felt like i was being used and abused it was it was crazy wow. uh, but I, I didn't know how to get out of it because i was this huge figure in the berlin uh night in the, in the in the night scene in the underworld whatever you want to call it because the whole doorman scene is is underworld so it's right. you got West Berlin is the Abu Chakas, it's the Arab family, and then East Berlin is the is another well, they're all pimps on the on the one on the one uh, street where they have all the prostitutes, which if, if people don't know prostitutes are legal in Germany, but pimps aren't. So um, <laughs> funny story. So these guys are really brutal and there's always these doorman wars. And I was the, the neutral doorman. So the doorman never messed with me, but everybody else did. So I because I'm such a big target. Um, and I, I, I held my own. I never lost a fight. Not, not, not that I'm proud of that, but there was nothing you could do to beat me except kill me. Hmm. Now, nowadays I won't even, 
I can't even know. I got in a, uh, an argument a few months ago on the street, and I didn't even know why. The guy hit my car, I got out, and he freaked out and punched me. And I just stood there like, I can't believe this has happened. I I'm not getting into this again. <laughs> so I didn't do anything. I just sort of stood there. And uh, I think that scared him more than anything. Because <laughs> 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 he was a little guy. He's like, okay, I just hit a big guy, and he was going to crush me, and I didn't do anything. So, right. um, so that was really hard for me. And what happened then was I had a breakdown. So – I and I woke up in the park in Berlin naked, and I had no idea how I got there. Uh, and so a, a couple beside me they gave me their their blanket, and I wrapped it around me, and I walked away and uh, went home. And at the time, I still had my military ID, which um, meant you could ride public public transportation for free. Mm -hmm. um, um, even though I wasn't in the military, I was in what they call the inactive ready reserve, so I still had it. And so I went home, and uh, I couldn't come back to myself for a good three weeks. So it means that everything I did was like I was outside of my body, and it mm -hmm. was echoing. I was looking down on myself the whole time, and I, I was going. I thought I thought I literally thought I was going to end up in a loony bin. And uh, then one day it snapped back in again, and uh, I said, "I have to start. I have, something has to change." So I got out of that scene and I started my own business. Um, started a cocktail bar, then another cocktail bar, then another cocktail bar, then a, a, a nightclub, part owner of a nightclub, part owner of a sports bar, part owner of a cafe. And I got into that business and made a lot of money. Um, and then, of course, the, the DMARC was um, ended and the euro came. And that crushed all business, mm. um, especially service business. And then I went into the health club business. And in the health club business, we had 80, in the end, we had 87 health clubs in Europe. We were listed on the London stock market. I worked in the States for some, some corporations, and I basically worked my way up. And, it, and you know, 14 years ago, I, f I was a co-founder of a political organization called the Civil Coalition of Germany, or the Civile Coalition Deutschland in German. Mm -hmm. And that morphed four years ago into a party. And that party is now the second largest, most, uh, the second most powerful party in Europe. Oh, wow. uh, sorry. Sorry, in Germany, um, and it's uh, it's astound it's astonishing because this never happened before that we booted two of the original parties of Germany that were formed in the fifties, mm -hmm. and we bo we booted them all. We booted them out of place in, in three years: the Green Party, the SPD, and uh, the AFD. Or sorry, the um, FDP. And so I'm I'm quite in involved in the politics there. I did that for a while, but at the same time, I also did other things like work for Mick Jagger as a bodyguard or. Uh, you know, I worked for Olivia Newton-John and helped launch her, her 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 business here in Europe in seven countries. Um, I acted a little bit, I did movies with my brother in America. We had a mortgage franchise in America as well, and used that money that we made to make movies. Everything was flying, and then guess what? The mortgage crash came, and I lost everything again. Yeah, I felt <laughs> that one too. Yeah. yeah, my God. So yeah, it's it's up and down, and up and down, up and down. But through and through, I never got upset. Really? Because. I, uh, yeah, no, because I have this, this this simple thing. Like, it's always around the corner. No mm. matter what happens to you, there's always something around the corner. Always something around the corner. It's true. And it's 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 if you have the intestinal fortitude to keep walking and looking around that corner. That's what it's all about. For me, that's what it's all about. I mean, I've literally had you know months where uh, I didn't know how I was going to even eat. Yeah. You know, in 2008, after that crash, I was literally homeless in Berlin. Um, and I lived in my smart car and, <laughs> yeah, and I stayed at, um, friends houses or ex-girlfriends houses or whoever, wherever I could stay. Um, and a funny thing happened. I had a chance to go back to work and I said, no, I don't want to go back to work right now. I think this is really good for me. <laughs> so I stayed home for another three months and then I went back to work. Oh, and wow. that work, 
work took me to Budapest. And I was a cleansed person then because I came out of the monastery. I stayed on the streets for a while and sort of relaxed and found out who I was, purged myself, came to Budapest, the very first day in Budapest, the very first day in the new business, the very first person I saw, I ended up marrying. So she's my wife now. <laughs> wow. Nine years ago, uh, yesterday was our fifth year anniversary, wedding anniversary. Congratulations. So, yes. And that's that's pretty much my story. And I left a whole bunch of stuff out, but I don't want to take up the whole thing just talking about my story. So, Well, it was a great story, man. It's an incredible <laughs> story. Uh, so I, you hit some points that I really want to kind of dive into. It, over the past five years or so, I've kind of uh, uh, engulfed myself into a lot of Navy SEAL books and uh, videos. But I appreciate that mentality and that brotherhood that they have really created or they create for themselves when they go into battle and that sort of thing. And something that came up that you mentioned is that you, the only way to break to break us is to kill us type of mentality. Now you talked about it in a way where you got that. And then I believe if this is correct, then you had to let it go. Is that, is that kind of how your process went? Completely. Okay. I, you know, you have to let it go because that's that's a it's an armor and it's also a block. Right. So it's it's it goes both ways. And as much as I, you know, like completely respect Navy SEALs and all those guys, I, I think the books talking about you have to, you know, you have to win in in business or you will die. That kind. Of, I think this is over the top, you know. And I understand where it's coming from because I've been there, but I, I don't teach that. And when I, with my clients, I don't go that that route. Um, or route, depending on where you're from. <laughs> um, I, so I, I sort of do the, um, you know, self, um, self-expression kind of thing. I, I sort of let them be themselves, and I sort of guide them like bumpers of a, of a pinball machine. Could you explain a little bit more about how you were trained to get that mentality, but also the moment that you realized you needed to let go of that mentality? Oh, I can tell you ex- exactly when it happened. Okay. Both, both of them. Okay. So I was in the boot camp, and I was, you know, 19 years old, big dorky-looking guy. Shaved my head; I looked even dorker, dorkier because I was a little bit. I was a little bit. This is this was before I lost all the weight. You know, I was 240 in high school, uh-huh. and then I, I five months later after boot camp, I was 180. Mm. I, I looked like a pencil. Mm. And uh, but while I was there, I was we were at the obstacle course. So there's three hills in Fort Knox that you run. One's called Agony, one's called Misery, and one's called Heartbreak. <laughs> and they're they're li- they're literally right after each other. Yeah, and then, and then you turn around and come back again, and they're literally so steep. When you're running up the hill, you're almost climbing, and your your nose is about a foot off the cement in front of you. That's how steep it is. I'm I'm not kidding. You you can't even drive cars up there. Wow. So um so we're running up these hills and back down, and we get to the obstacle course. After that, I was completely exhausted because I never ran in my life, and um except for football, which I was a lineman, so I didn't run that much. And um, we're sitting there at this wall, and everyone's climbing over this wall, and I was like, I can't get it over. I can't I can't reach the top. And there's no rope. How am I supposed to get over this thing? I can't get over this thing. And the drill sergeant took me by the back of the head and threw me down in the mud and tramped on the back of my neck. Mm. I think I, I think I have neck troubles to this day because of that, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> and uh, he was cussing me out. I mean, he was he was calling me every name in the book. And something in me snapped. I stood up, and I got cold. I'll never forget it. I got ice cold. And I walked up to the wall, and with one jump and one swoop of the hand, I was over the wall. Wow. And I turned around and went back. I did it again. He said, come get your ass moving. You know, so, so I went around. And from that point on, I knew and I knew that anything is possible at all. Like there's nothing that I can't, nothing that I can't do. And I remember 
there's these logs that get higher and further apart, and you and they're sticking out of the ground vertically. And you have to jump from log to log to log. And I'm thinking, I can't do this. And I thought, of course I could do this. And suddenly I'm like, ding, 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 all the way across. And I kept proving myself over and over and over how powerful the mind is. And that's where I learned it. And the day it ended, I was in Berlin. I was at the Hard Rock Cafe. And I got in, in a fight, another fight, uh, I don't know, with some, some guys that were challenging me. And a, and a bartender came out and, and tried to stop me. And I broke his nose. I didn't see who it was. I just punched him and broke his nose. And then I, was, I freaked out and I was chasing this guy. And then anyway, I, I, usually when I got in these big fights, I, I would black out. So I don't know what happened. And I looked at the video camera. And I looked at the video camera. I had five guys hanging on me trying to stop me. And I don't even remember it. I was just running down the street with five guys on my back wow. chasing, chasing this guy. And I thought, okay, no, I'm done. I'm done. It's over. You know, it's just something. This can't be, this can't be healthy. This, is, this can't be right. This is not me. This is not, this is not how I want to be. I don't want to be that guy, you know. And that's when it ended. But it took – that's when I realized that it has to end. It took, of course, another five or ten years to actually get it out of my system. Yeah. Because it's like a, it's like a, a kettle with boiling water. It's just you're just sitting there and someone just needs to tap it, you know. And then you know, there's, there's one degree difference between boiling and not boiling. And that one degree is super thin. <laughs> like, <laughs> super thin line, you know. So, yeah, those days are over, thank goodness. And, and I revel in the fact that the more excited and more crazy people around me get, the calmer I get now. We see entrepreneurs all the time with that mentality of the only way you can break me is you have to, is to kill me and or trying to gain that mentality or become like that. What would you say to those that are like that or that want to be like that? I think wanting to be like that, striving to be in, in your eyes better, you know, in your own eyes better is always something good. What I have to say is it's a curse as well as a blessing. I mean, you're going to push through walls that maybe you should have climbed over or walked around because on the sides of that wall or on the top of the wall, you might, you might find the, the golden jewels. Um, but if you bust through the wall, you'll destroy everything. You might get where you're going quicker, but you're going to destroy everything in between. As we say, the, you know, the journey is the true goal, or is, the, is, is the true path, so to say. And I, for me, um, I always say you have to push. You have to make things happen. You have to reach those goals. There's, it's, it's, a, it's a non-negotiable. But within, within you is where the real goals are and the real blocks are. And the real problems come if you don't acknowledge what you as a person, what you as a person really are as a person, not what you are, but who you are as a person. And it's, it's, it takes a lot of you know, reflection and a lot of you know, speaking to people like, let's say, we can say Jesse, for instance, or monks, or people that sort of understand a little, little more depth and in, in who, what the human condition is. It's easy to block things out and be the tough guy. I mean, it's really easy. I mean, it's actually, it's so easy. That's why so, so many guys do it. The hard part is being humane, being human, and actually giving a damn about the people around you. That's the hard part. Without you, uh, without having expectations on top of it, how does one recognize if they are blocking that out? Um, bitterness, anger, um, uh, irritability, feeling jealous. When so, like if some some guy, like a guy like me, five years ago, if I'd have seen Jesse standing on stage, I'd have been like, "Who's this fucking guy? I think he is. Excuse right. my French. Who's this guy? I think he is. He thinks he has all the answers." If you're thinking that, you need to get off the boat, brother. You know, and sort of sort of back up and say, "Okay, what is wrong with me? Why can't I accept?" You know, the messages that are being given me. What, what is it about these guys that are showing me something that I don't want to see? Because obviously things that bother you about other people are the things that bother you about yourself. Um, and, you know, the mirror, the mirror concept. 
And so I, I, I love to step back and say, okay, why does that bother me? What's the deal? You know, what, what are the feelings that I have? How did I react and why did I react? And then it comes to ego as well. You know, we can talk about the whole ego thing. Um, and I have a real simple concept for that. If, if I'm in a conversation or I'm anywhere and I feel like I have to say something, I, I analyze it first. Am I saying this because it adds value or am I saying this because I want to you know, strike my ego? And it, more than not, it's the ego thing. And, and I take that and I don't say it, but I, I visually put it into my what I call my nuclear reactor, which is my solar plexus area. So I take it out of my brain and put it in my nuclear reactor and that gives me – this powerful presence that you might, I don't know if you may have sort of experienced or not. Um, but I have like, I have, I like to think that I have this sort of, I don't know, different sort of energy than other people. That's where that comes from because I don't, I don't let it out. I leave it in and use that as sort of a yeah nuclear reactor. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's, the, it's the only way I can really say it. I don't know. <laughs> I got it. I got it. It makes sense. Um, let's talk about what you're up to these days. You, you're doing some coaching and helping people grow their businesses. And what else are you involved in? Well, you know, I don't like the word coaching. I don't because there's too many of them out there. And, uh-huh. and a lot of them, let's face it, they learned it online. And then, you know, I, like, I, I, have, I have a little joke that I use that, oh, so your coach learned coaching online. I, I learned mine on the front line, you know, sort of as a, a little one. joke. Yeah, but, you know, honestly speaking, there's coaches that have, have processes and procedures. Uh, and then there's coaches that have actually been there and done that. The been there and done that are usually, you know, older, obviously. Yeah. Because you have to be older to have been there and done that. I'm not really a coach. I don't call myself a coach. I'm a consultant. Um, but of course, a third of what I do is coaching and 85% of success is mindset. So it's at least 85% is mindset. So when I talk to my clients and my clients are anything from the large construction companies to multi-million dollar companies to uh, NASDAQ listed, uh, British uh, stock market listed, you know, Turkish company, a company in Dubai. And what I do is real simple. It's called immediate impact consulting. I go into your company and the first thing I do it's find immediate revenue. And I find that immediate revenue so that you can relax for a second, take a breath, and we can look at what the real problems are and not what you think they are. Mm. And the only reason we can look at the real problems is because now you're not worried about paying the bills or making revenue. That's sort of a peace of mind that I sort of provide. So my first, my first step is always that. And of course, in between that, you're always talking about mindset and you're always trying to, you, you know, you're getting them to believe in themselves and believe in the new procedures and you, you know, the forest for the trees kind of thing. So, yeah. That's what and, I do. And can you give us an example of how you would go into a company and, and create revenue or sure. get immediate revenue? Sure. I'll give you a real example. Right now, um, I just had a client. He had a he has a power uh, cleaning business, you know, the CareSure steam cleaners. He clean, cleans floors. Right. And he has a con- he, he got a contract at or a, a discussion for a contract at a, an apartment complex. He said, Steve, I got a $20,000 contract, um, contract. I'm going to go sign it. And I, and I said, for what? He said, cleaning the floors in the um, apartment complex. And I said, why are the floors dirty? He goes, what do you mean? I said, why are the floors dirty? He goes, I don't know. I said, well, shouldn't you find out? Um, you know, he goes, yeah, but if I clean them every day, I make more money. I'm like, no, no, no. Solve that problem and you make more money. So he, he went back in and he asked them why. And they said, well, because the garbage, the garbage company, there's holes in the trash cans. And they always drag them across and there's you know, mud, you know, garbage all over the floor. And I said, and he said, okay, what if I, I become your new garbage company and I give you new trash cans? And mm-hmm. they said, sure. Here you go. Here's a million dollar contract. Done. So that's one way uh, that you can make money is is uh, solving the real problem. Like I said before, solve the real problem, not what the people think it is. Because too often, consultants are like that. They go, hey, man, uh, I need to consult. I got this problem. Can you solve it? And they go in and say, yes, I'll solve it. 
but that's not the real problem, you know? Right. Uh, and, and, and so another one is upselling. For instance, you, you include a warranty into your, into your service and you raise the price a little bit and say all, all service, all of my services include a warranty. And then you have like a margin there that you just tacked on top. So you, and if you do 50 business, let's say you do 50 roofs a month and you add $500 on top for a, a, a warranty that costs you $100. Everyone's happy, right? So you just made fifty times, you know, four hundred bucks, and that over the year is not bad. So, yeah, things like that. There's so many ways. There's, look, I'm, I'm going to tell you this straightforward. There's only three ways to grow revenue in a business. That's new customers, higher prices, and repeat sales, including upsells. Those are the only three ways to grow revenue. Right. So it's it's not hard. Most companies only do one or two of them. Wait one second. My kids are here. Not not <laughs> now. Not now. They're going to be rolling the plastic feed through here okay so yeah it's uh, so there that's it for me that's the easiest part is going in and making revenue then we got to set up and we start doing pps what i call pps is people procedures and structures mm-hmm. uh, we're setting the people the, the right people with the uh, proper procedures and the accurate structures so that that so that the leaders don't have to manage they just lead management is is then basically a procedure uh, um, uh, operation and of course delegation is such a thing Delegation is such a thing where you delegate the task but never the responsibility. We were talking about something earlier, Stephen. The the hit principle is one of the yeah. things that you kind of base your consulting on, but also base your life on. Do you want to share about that a bit? I would love to. Well, how about this? Let, before I even get into hit and why it's important, let's talk about one thing that I think every single one of your listeners either struggles with or has struggled with. And that's the imposter syndrome. <laughs> you know, the, uh, I think you know what I mean, right? That, the does, idea that, that doesn't exist. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> the idea that you're, a, that you're a fraud and somehow everyone's going to find out, you know. Right. Like, like everyone else has it all figured out in a matter of minutes before it all falls apart. I mean, you, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like if, you, um, if you look at Sharon, uh, you know, Sharon Stone or, or Tom Cruise or whoever, they all suffer – from it and we all did it's it's when you break through a glass ceiling that you never knew mm-hmm. uh that you could break through suddenly you're standing there with the champions sort of like us on that island you know in croatia yeah suddenly you're standing there with these superheroes and you're like do i belong here <laughs> you know yeah oh yeah you know so it's it's that that's what that is so that's sort of uh but we all have a bit of that right yeah we do we do so yeah. anyone who's starting out or turning around a business is in this phase and the reason you feel like a fraud of course is because you're terrified that you're attempting to be better than who you are at the moment you know yeah. and what i would say if you're scared then dive in full force and take it by everything that you have because that's true growth yeah so you know and it's the fear turns it turns in, in, into momentum when you do that so any anyway hit stands for honesty integrity and transparency and it's how you're going to turn any, everyone that you ever talk to about your business into a sort of a human funnel so people, you know, it, it works so well. It ensures that you're clear with yourself first because honesty and transparency with yourself, the byproduct is integrity. Right? Mm. So at the end of the day, when you're with yourself, when you're honest with yourself and transparent with yourself, you can stand naked in the middle of a room and no one will have anything on you because you've already declared it and you've already, you know, come, come clean with it. And you're, you're on the play, level playing ground with everyone around you. And the results are, you know, the results are amazing like let me let me tell you a story about how i ended up working with andrea bocelli if you have a second yeah 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 so i had no 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 experience in the music industry at all no no contacts and nothing and i ended up with a retainer in the music business which no one ends up so if for anyone who's listening who doesn't know andrea bocelli he's the number one opera singer in the world basically yeah. he, he's our generation's Pavarotti. yeah 
So I, I met I, I met one of his guitar duos in a barbershop in Dusseldorf. And as you met me, I talked to everybody. So it just happens, you know, they worked for Andrew Bocelli. And I said, oh, I'd love to meet him because I had been reading that his contracts were running out in Europe. And it had to be renegotiated. So they invited me to the concert in, in London. I took my wife. We went up there and met him, met him backstage, asked for a meeting the next day, to which he indulged me. He didn't show up, but his wife did. Not, any, anyone else might have been like, oh, my gosh, he stood me up. But luckily, I didn't know anything about the industry, so I didn't even care. Um, and it was just one goal that I had, and that was to land Andrea Bocelli as my client. Mm-hmm. And uh, I basically had done my homework, and I got to, the, got to the point and pointed out the gaps in their business and what I could do for them. And she, first of all, his wife was shocked, and she's like, how did you get this information? I said, that's what I do. <laughs> and I, I, told her, I told her I wanted 20, 20% of whatever I bring in in business and, and the new contract negotiations. And a retainer. And she laughed in my face and said, of course, you get 20%. That's what everybody gets. But no one in this business gets a retainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, about 20 minutes later, I walked out with a retainer. And I stayed with them for two years. Uh, wow. And, yeah. and within two weeks, I was in my first meetings with London at the CEOs at the top record labels. Wow. And this, yeah, so this is what I'm famous for. I'm like landing the impossible deal, getting the impossible cell phone number. And I can get anybody's private cell phone number, I promise you. <laughs> uh, you know, I can lean, land a meeting, and I do land meetings with just about a- anybody. And people paid attention to what I say because I speak in a different language than what they're used to. Yeah. So when I called Sony, for instance, I, I gave them, you know, I spoke to them on the phone. And they said, after I said, hey, this is Stephen Kuhn. How you doing? I have a business proposition for you. I'd like to meet for five minutes over coffee uh, when you got time next week. And they said, you're not from this industry, are you? And I said, no. And she said, when can you be here? So, you know, I knew right then I had to speak another language. I, I did the same thing with Olivia and John, Olivia Newton-John and Mick Jagger. You know, and so I, I work, you know, I work my way through. It's, it's all intuition, Chris. Yeah. It's all intu- that, that, know, that female intuition, right? Yeah, that's that female intuition we were talking about <laughs> before, yeah. So I, I, I basically work with two types of people. Mm-hmm. Clients who need someone like me to, to land high-stake deals, like closing multi-million dollar deals or getting products into Costco or Walmart or Target. Or expanding their current business holdings. You know, the other kind of client I work with through my online coaching program, which is a consulting program, is folks who are either starting up or need to turn around their business. And I teach them how to operate basically like I did. Because when you're when, when when you bring hit to mindset, and they bring it to work with you, shit just gets done. It just gets done, streamlined, correct. People count on you. They look at you and say, "Man, I want to do business with this guy." Mm-hmm. You know? So your your authenticity that you that you create. Through being honest, honest and transparent with yourself, that that you know, the authenticity dictates your market value, and you can't be authentic without knowing who you are and believing who you are. So, if you want people to take you seriously, and if you're selling something you can't afford not to be taken seriously, you need to broadcast this part of you loud and clear: authenticity, integrity, and it's it's basically how you're going to turn everyone that you ever talk to about your business into a sort of human funnel, whether they buy from you or not, because they're going to talk about you. They're going to say, "Wow, you got to meet that guy." You gotta meet that gal, you know, pretty, pretty amazing. So yeah, that's, uh, if your business involves humans in any way, whether you sell to them or not, <laughs> this is what's going to, that's what's going to work for you. you know? Works for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Steven, I think that's a, an awesome way to wrap up the show. Um, if the listeners want to reach out to you and learn more about what you have going on, where's the best place they can do that at? Indeed. Uh, the best thing is probably my website, Stephen-Kuhn.com. That's S-T-E-V-E-N-K-U-H-N.com. And on there, you'll see a, a coaching button and you'll see a hit video question, a, a hit video sign up. You get five free videos. Uh, nothing's attached. You just get five free videos about hits and how to start implementing it into your life. 
Love it, my friend. Stephen, I want to give you a huge thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your tips and your tricks and all your infinite wisdom with us. We really appreciate it. My absolute pleasure, Chris, and I can't wait to see you again maybe in in, uh, in, in the next Buddha. Baby Bath Water event. Yeah, or Budapest maybe. <laughs> or Budapest. Come on down. You're always welcome. You know that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Uh, and listeners, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you guys for joining us once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks again for joining the show. We wanted to remind you about our Get Shit Done one-on-one productivity coaching that we recently just launched. What we do is work with you to create big business goals that are absolutely game changers. We make a plan together and put you in our productivity hacking system that helps you stay on target. Each week, you get a call with yours truly about what steps to take for the following week. Some say it's like a year of productivity in just three months. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com forward slash coaching. Thebusinessmethod.com forward slash coaching.